Well, the scripture says, Give unto the Lord the glory uh, due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It's been a blessing to be with you this morning. Welcome all of you as we worship the Lord together already today through song and through the reading of His Word. We are grateful for these very simple means of grace which God has granted to His church that we can participate in and uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ through them. Glad that you're here today. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. And today we're going to focus on verses 19 through 21 as we are continuing to work through this first chapter, 2 Peter 1. And not sure if we're going to be here next week or not in this uh, chapter. We may continue this study on Sunday nights. I am looking to begin a brief study through some sp- the spiritual gifts. I want to try to teach the church on that a little bit so that we can be uh, educated in regards to spiritual gifts and hopefully uh, know more how we are to use our gifts that we have been given in the local church. That may begin next week. It may not. I need to continue to pray through that a little bit. And uh, best I can understand what the Lord's will is, go from there. But I will give you that uh, heads up as to far as where we are headed at some point. Um, 2 Peter 1, I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. Just asking you to follow along in your copy of God's Word this morning. I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is the Word of the Lord this morning. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's join together in prayer. Father, I pray to you this morning, confessing as the Proverbs say, Father, that there, who, who can say I have made my heart clean? Who can say that we are, we are pure, Lord? We, we are not able to do that. We cannot do it on our own. We gather together as an assembly of people, God, today, who through the gospel have been cleansed and been made pure and are being made pure in your sight through Jesus Christ. As we look to your word, O God, grant us mercy today to hear your word in truth. And all the truth that we know is in Jesus. So, Father, as we look to it today, give this preacher grace to communicate your word and please give the hearers grace lord to humbly but yet actively participate in this service to receive your word oh god grow us through your word we thank you for our lord jesus christ of whom we have sung this morning he is our hiding place he is our refuge and our strength he is our light and our salvation It's in Him, Father, that we come to You. It's in Him that we find our justification and our righteousness before You. In Christ's name, amen. 
This morning, I want to share with you a message from this passage that's entitled, A Sure Word. And um, we're going to work through this passage just with three points. And there are really three C words to begin each of these, certainty, careful attention, and then concurrence. And we'll just see how far we get through this uh, study this morning. Um, We have heard from Peter already today or about Peter already from the reading in John 18. And, you know, he said there in in Matthew 26, around that same time where he actually did deny Jesus, just before it, he said to Jesus, though um, uh, all were to be made to stumble for your sake, I will never stumble. Um, Peter thought... He thought with all of his heart, apparently, that he would never stumble. He would never deny Jesus Christ. And maybe that helps us realize, uh, maybe afresh, why Peter is so adamant in 2 Peter chapter 1 that the Christians must be diligent to add to their faith and that they should listen to what he says because he is, as we saw last week, actually a very credible witness. He is a credible source. Because when he was there on that mount, do you remember last week? He was on the mount with Jesus and saw him transfigured. The glory of Christ was seen. And Peter says, we saw it. Saw it with and it's not just one, but we saw it, him and James and John. And they were able to testify about who Christ was. And Peter said that because he, he told them that Jesus is coming back in power. And he's, his power and his coming, the parousia of Christ. Jesus is going to return. We've seen his glory already. He's coming back in the same glory. So be ready for it. Because there's going to come a day when Christians will be given an entrance into the heavenly kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with all of that being said, that leads us up here to verse 18, where after through 18 to verse 19. And then Peter begins here in verse 19 saying, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. As, as we read this passage this morning, this might be one of those passages in your mind that you have brain marked to show the, um, the, that the, the Word of God, that the Bible is actually from God, that it is not a work of man. You might couple this with, what is it, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or it is God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for God for every good work. If you don't have that brain marked this morning, brain mark it. Okay? You need to know that one. You need to know this one and the other one. That verify the inspiration of the Word of God, that it is actually from God, a book that's given to us. George Whitfield said, and I'll go ahead and flip over there and try to read this quote but that I found this week. George Whitfield said about uh, the Bible. Let's see if I can find it. I hope I can. It's a good one. 
He said this about the Bible. He said, God has condescended to become an author. And yet people will not read his writings. There are very few that ever gave this book of God, the grand charter of salvation, one fair reading through. I thought that was a great quote from him, one of those great preachers of the past about the Word of God and its importance. So we come to it today in verse 19 again. It says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I've wrestled with this. I've wrestled with it in the past, and I wrestled with it again, and I thought I had it licked. And then uh, the more I looked at this passage, I realized, no, it had me licked. Um. Because there's very various ways to translate this first phrase. We're probably going to spend too much time here, but that's probably the way it's going to happen. This first phrase in the New King James Version says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. If you have maybe like an ESV, it says something like this. We also have a more sure word. Or we, have, we also have the more sure word prophetic word and then the new american standard may say something along these lines and so we have the prophetic word made more sure so let's deal with this for just a second on the one hand this could be translated to say this everything that peter and the uh, other disciples saw on the mount of transfiguration and heard on the mount of transfiguration he 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 states that and then he goes on from there and says, but we have a more sure prophetic word. So it could be that Peter is saying, we've got this personal experience that we can testify about, but there is something more sure than our personal experience, and that is the prophetic word. And we're just going to interpret that as being the Bible, being the word of God, basically in the Old Testament. So it could be saying that. Peter could be saying that. And that's probably the way that I was leaning um, uh, at one point when I was putting this message together, unfortunately. Um, but then you go to look at this a little further, and he could be saying this. If you take the verse 19 from the New King James, which says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. What he could be saying here is that we have our personal experience, our eyewitness and our earwitness there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that eyewitness and that earwitness fits with the prophetic scripture that was previously proclaimed. It confirms it. It verifies it. Maybe it could say it like this. There is a handprint that fits the Messiah that the prophetic scripture presents to us. And then the Messiah comes and puts his hand in the handprint and it fits perfectly. And it confirms that he is the Messiah and that the prophetic scripture that was previously spoken is accurate. That's the approach I'm taking with this. That, that what Peter and the apostles saw there on the mount confirms the prophetic word. And that brings us to our first point, and that is certainty, how we trust the Bible. The reason I like this interpretation probably so much and the most 
is because this really puts an emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he would do. This phrase, prophetic word, that you find there in verse 19, as far as I can tell, is found one other place in the New Testament, and that's Romans 16, verse 26. Now, I'm going to read the verse prior to that and afterwards as well, so I think I'm starting at verse 25. It says, Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That word prophetic word is found there in Romans 16, 26, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. What's made known? The mystery of Jesus Christ. The mystery that's kept uh, silent, kept secret since the world began. But through the word, it goes out to the nations. Whether you're a missionary or a preacher, no matter what land you are upon, what continent you find yourself as a um, preacher or missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ, you proclaim the same gospel. You proclaim the same word. And it is through that word that people are delivered and brought to obedience to faith in Jesus Christ. And all the glory goes to God. To God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. So, uh, let's, de let's define this a little further. What is a prophetic word in verse 19? What is a prophetic word? And the message of that prophetic word seems to primarily be Christ crucified, risen again on the third day, seen alive. But we could go further to define it from this context as this. And this is homespun, so if it's not any good, blame me. And it, the definition is this. It's any spoken and written word that came from holy men being moved by the Holy Spirit to speak and write. What is a prophetic word? It is any spoken and written word that came from holy men who, are move, who were moved by the Holy Spirit, who being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke and wrote. This could be Old Testament. This could be and would be New Testament. You see, when we come to the word Scripture, as we will in verse 20, Scripture is a sacred writing. The Bible is the only book that is Scripture. Scripture is sacred because it is from God. That is what makes it Holy Scripture or even just Scripture. You do not find Scripture in any other book besides the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. That is 
the word of the Lord. That is the sacred writing given from God. You might ask, though, further, or maybe, maybe I'm just the one asking the questions. But what is the ultimate message of the prophets? What did they say? Who were they talking about? With that in mind, I want to go ahead and go to a passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, because I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll reference this again later. And maybe if we go ahead and read it now, then we'll go ahead and have it in our, in our memory, and I'll just be able to mention it. 1 Peter 1, verse 10 through 12. This talks about the message of the prophets. The message of the prophets in regard to salvation. The most important topic that they could give us information on. How the God of heaven it would save us from our sins. Peter in chapter 1 has been previously talking about this salvation that we have. It is a salvation that has been given to us from God who has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in verse 3. You see in verse 4 that we have an, inherit, an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and will not fade away, does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for you. And how do we get there? We are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So these Christians were being grieved by various trials, but yet they have this faith that they are kept by. Verse 7 that the genuineness of your faith, that precious faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation, the revelation, the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see here in chapter 1 how he's emphasizing salvation. It's from God and we are kept for that. Inter eternal inheritance by faith. All right. So now in verse 10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time. The Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. As you look at verse 11, my translation tells me, and I'm saying that because I'm hoping everybody else's is the same to cut down on confusion. But in verse 11, 
um, we see who was, who was testifying, who was indicating in the prophets about the sufferings of Christ. Who was it? The Spirit of who? The Spirit of Christ was in the prophets, as it says there, indicating when, when he testified beforehand, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The Spirit of Christ was telling about the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ in the prophets before the Christ ever came. And then in verse 12, it says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Apparently, the salvation that we enjoy, angels desire to look into it and understand it. So what was the main message of the prophets? We could take this passage and say from Peter that the main message of the prophets was not some doom and gloom that might happen in the world, but the main message of the prophets was salvation through Jesus Christ, the one who would die, would be buried and rise again on the third day and live forevermore. But if you know not Him as your Savior, there is doom. There is condemnation. There is destruction. You will perish. So the message of salvation is calling us to receive Jesus Christ as the one that God says that He is. And who did He say He was? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that testimony from the excellent glory from heaven lined up with what the Old Testament said about the Savior, about Jesus Christ. Maybe taking it further, how does it do that? Psalm 2, 7, the Lord said to him, you are my son. And on that Mount of Transfiguration, he said, this is my beloved son. In, in um, uh, Isaiah 42, verse 1, about that servant of the Lord who would come, he says, in whom my soul delights, the father says, in whom my soul delights, that suffering servant. And what did he say about Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration? In him I am well pleased. So, what happened there confirmed the prophetic word. It verified it and proved that it is true and that He is true. So Jesus Christ is the ultimate, the quintessential reason that the Bible is to be trusted. I could stand here before you and say, 40 authors over 1,500 years, three different continents, three different languages. And it all blends together. And I could try to give you all kinds of reasons from manuscript evidence 
and things like that to say, hey, you need to trust the Bible. No, there is one reason ultimately why you should trust the Bible. It is because Jesus Christ came and who he is aligned with what it said. And he rose again from the dead. He's alive. He is no longer in the grave. He has proven that he is the son of God by being raised from the dead. And if you reject him, you are rejecting the scriptures. You are rejecting what God has said about his son. He is the only means of salvation. So, you know, our our youth, we all will face different times where people will mock the word of God. Well, people will spurn the word of God. They will try to destroy the word of God. And it has been, if it were not a a book of God, it would have been destroyed long ago. But I tell you, there is one thing, though you may not be able to answer all the skeptics' questions or all those who mock and scoff about the Bible, you may not be able to answer all of their questions. But if you can say one thing, you can say that I know that Jesus Christ came, He lived, died, was buried, rose again, and I believe it with all of my heart. That's enough because it aligns with what the, what the book says. And you should hold to that. In the Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, when Jesus Christ returns, and again, that all depends on what your end time view is uh, on that, I guess, in this chapter. But in Revelation nineteen thirteen, it says about Jesus, as he comes back on that white horse, it says, and said he was and said he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. You see, what and who the prophets of the Old Testament anticipated, the disciples saw in person. Now I want to show you three passages real quick. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 5. This is going really well this morning. It looks like we're going to make it through the first point. First uh, Corinthians 15. I hope this is making some sense this morning as we're looking at this. Um, but... I want to show you three passages here that show how Jesus aligns with the scripture uh, that was previously written. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. This is, as you know, that gospel message. This is where the four tenets of the gospel that I often share with you is found. But it says there in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the what? Okay, so that's the place right there. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In other words, the way that the Scriptures said that He would. All right, now verse 4. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the what? Scriptures. So what that's saying is, He did it according to the handprint fits. Okay? Now, let's go to another one. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 54 and 56. 
Matthew 26, verse 54 and 56. Okay, so this is in um, the time right there before Jesus is crucified. Uh, right there in that time where Peter would deny him. It's actually the same account that was read from John 18 this morning. And <clears throat> where Jesus is arrested. And we come to verse 52. This is where Jesus says to uh, Peter, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Now notice verse 54. This is what was on Jesus' mind right here. He said, how then... Could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? That he would be betrayed by one of his own. Then in verse 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. Verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Why did Jesus make it three years in ministry before, before, before this actually happened? Before he was actually arrested and crucified? Well, he gives us one reason right here. So that the scriptures would be fulfilled. All this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. The handprint fits. Then the last one, Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 44. Thanks for working hard to find these different passages this morning. I have them written out in my notes, but I thought it might do well for us to turn to them together and see them. Uh, Luke 24. Verse 44. Now, there is another one. And we'll go ahead and take a glance at it. Verse 27, since we're here. Luke 24, verse 27. It says, and this is with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now over to verse 44. It says there, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Verse 46. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name 
to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So you see there in verse 44 that the handprint fits. All that Moses, all that the prophets, all that the Psalms said about Jesus, he fit that description. He fit the handprint. Do you understand that? Because if you do, just like those disciples in that day, it's not because you were able to figure that out. It was because God opened your understanding, just like He did theirs. Do you understand it? Do you believe it? That this man who lived 2,000 years ago, born in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, headquarters in Capernaum, as he ministered there in Galilee. He was the one. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God who would save his people from their sins. And that message of salvation must be proclaimed. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, hey, I don't know about all this being saved stuff. Well, you know, Jesus, what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection, that is the only way any man, woman, boy, or girl can be forgiven and have eternal life. That's it. What does the Bible call you to do, call us to do in response to that? You should believe the testimony of God. Believe what He said about Jesus is true. Believe it. Now, it can't stop there because there's something else that goes with belief, and that's repentance. We can't continue to live like sinful, unbelieving people and be a believer at the same time. So we have a change of mind about God and about our sin that leads to a change of action, a change of life. Repentance and faith and what has the Lord given for us in the New Testament church to do to show that we are united with Christ it is water baptism. That's where we, here we fill this pool of water up, this tub of water up, and get in there and you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. And so that is what we have been told to do in response to God's working in our life, in response to our believing and repenting. That's the message of salvation. That is the wisdom of God. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to us who believe, it is the wisdom of God.
If you've never believed it before, I pray that you will today. And if you have, it's because of the grace of God in your life. So we rejoice and give Him the praise due His name, the glory due His name, because He is our great God and Savior. Now, I guess you'll have to come back later on if you want to get the rest of this handout filled out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm grateful today again for that you save sinners like us. There's nothing about us, Father, that deserves deserves you. There's nothing about us that merits salvation. It comes solely and completely through the merit and the worth of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I know my working through this text is pretty pretty weak. But your word is not weak. And we want to see it run swiftly among us. So please, I pray that it will today. In Jesus' name, amen.